Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper on AFR Talk. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that you were called to be part of his mission program. And uh, that's what this program is about. And the introduction said it well across the street or around the world. And sometimes we're more ready to go around the world than we are across the street. And uh, we uh, have those issues in our hearts and our lives. And we want to try to use exploring missions as a tool to help us to be more effective wherever God sends us or wherever he has us. This is Bert Harper along with our co-host, Nathan Harper. Nathan, it's good to be with you again today. Yes, it's great. And uh, today we're going to do a little bit uh, teaching that maybe people would, if you catch on it in the middle of it, or if you uh, stop off, you started and you stop off after 10 minutes, you're going to miss something. This is one of those things, probably 30 minutes uh, of it would be helpful because we're going to talk about kind of setting Jesus' mission program up. Now, I know that sounds like the Old Testament, but Nathan, there was 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. That's right. 400 years, you can call it the intertestamental period between the Old Testament, uh, Malachi's message, uh, and then all the way to Matthew in the New Testament. When I took uh, you know, New Testament survey and Old Testament survey at Blue Mountain College, uh, I really didn't know that until I got there and found out, man, there's 400 years and uh, between those two, uh, and then I found out a lot of things changed. Yeah, there was a lot going on in that 400 years. Even though uh, you would say God was silent when it comes to Scripture, um, there was a lot of activity, and God was still moving things behind the scenes. That made me think of Esther. The name God mm. is not God's name is not in the book right. of Esther in the Old Testament, but, but he's on every page. He's he? on every page, yeah. and I think today when you're going to take us through this, and I'm I'm going to comment and respond a little bit. But uh, when you go through these 400 years, I think you'll see God's hand of preparation for the fullness of time that's when right. Jesus would come. Yeah, that's right. And you might be thinking, what does this time between Old and New Testaments have anything to do with missions? Uh, We're going to try to bring out some things along the way as we go through this historically. Uh, But the main point is that God is setting the stage for Jesus, for the arrival of Jesus. And you'll want to tune in next week. After this week, you want to tune in next week to listen to the second part of this. This is really part one. That's right. And part two, you do need to tune in, so I pray that you will. Well, let's begin and take us through this 400 years. Right. So between the Old and New Testaments, what we want to do here is kind of understand the big picture, the Jewish context uh, that Jesus would be inserted into. Um, We want to do that so we can clearly see how he, Jesus, stands in stark contrast to that, you know, that particular background. Um, So it's important for us to understand, like, all that the Jewish people were going through. 
um, so that we can fully appreciate their attitudes and the perspectives that Jesus was dealing with when he was dealing with people, kind of what their perspective was at that time. Yes, you see the difference in what the Old Testament prophets dealt with and who Jesus dealt with. It yeah, was, there was, it was a there was just a it was a different mindset, and so it, it's also going to help us to humanize Jesus's opponents, um, whether you know Roman, whether uh, Jewish, like Pharisee, Sadducee, th- these groups. You see, they're kind of coming in conflict with Jesus a lot, um, and we tend to like make them villains all the time, and and. Sometimes they acted that way, but we it's it's good to humanize them, to understand where they're coming from, um, and maybe we can empathize with them a little bit more. Now, the whole big setting of, of the historical part of this was these Gentile overlords, these, these ruling nations were coming into Israel in this 400-year period. Um, and even before that, we had, with the Babylonians coming in and um, um, taking Israel, and then the Persians— and you can read about the Babylonian captivity and even the Persians uh, in the in the historical uh, books in um, in the Old Testament, and then most of the prophets were prophesying during these periods of what we would call exile or even pre-exile times. Um, so we're not going to talk much about Babylonians and Persians. You can uh, read about those in the Old Testament. So you can even Google those, can't you? That's right. But um, <laughs> the two two basic things about Babylonians. Was one Israel, uh, Northern Kingdom, ceased to be an independent nation, and they became a minor territory in a succession of larger empires. Right. Okay, and it started with the Babylonians. Now, when the Persians and Babylonians were 586 BC, Persians came in 539 BC. Uh, so basically, um, 200 years after Nehemiah, the Persians controlled Ju- Judah. Uh, Jews, the Jews were allowed their religious observances. They could still worship and, you know, pretty much carry on uh, religiously as as normal. Um, and they were ruled by high priests at the time. Those high priests, though, answered to Persia. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on in that period. So Malachi, his message was given in the middle of Persian rule, okay, about 430-ish B.C. was when Malachi came. And basically, from that point, that was the last word. Last word in, from the Old Testament Old Testament prophet. Last one right. they received. Yep. Um, <clears throat> now, then we have the Greeks coming in 331 B.C. And then the Romans. Is that Alexander the Great? Alexander, that, oh, okay. yes. Okay, okay. And then the Romans would come in 63 B.C. Let's talk a little bit more about the Greeks and Romans. So the Greeks, like you said, came with Alexander the Great. Uh, and then that was followed by the ruling class of the Ptolemies from Egypt, and then the Seleucids of Syria. And I don't know if I'm saying that correct, but but all of those are bringing their culture that's of right. ruling, yeah, to, Al- and it did affect the people's thoughts. It and did. Ways Alexander of life. did that on purpose. He he actually uh, believed that Greek culture and language would bring unity to the world if everybody had the same tongue, if they had, if they had the same culture. Um, even if those were forced on people, then there would be unity. Okay. So that process of doing that is called Hellenization. You might have heard that term before. That's going to be real important even in the book of Acts. That's right. And so three things kind of make up or mark Hellenization. Um, and this is one point where we can kind of stop off and talk about missions a little bit. 
Um, you have cosmopolitanism was a part of Greek culture. Um, that's kind of uh, antithetical. That's opposite of tribalism. So before you had in the Middle East, in Israel particularly, you had a tribalistic kind of viewpoint of things. I mean, you had the 12 tribes of Israel and you had people kind of their territories. And, yeah. Yeah. And so Alexander and the Greeks brought cosmopolitan when it was all just kind of mixed together and we become almost like a melting pot and you lose some of your culture to gain a new identity. That's kind of cosmopolitan. They also were individualistic instead of collectivistic. In other, in other words, uh, the person as an individual decides things, uh, thinks for themselves, uh, you know, kind of they, they become the center of their universe instead of the, the family or the clan or the tribe being the center. I, I can already see the mixture in Jesus' day, but I also see it in the church today. That's right. We're, we're a priesthood, but we're a collective, a community. Mm-hmm. So we're <laughs> yeah, both and. We are. And, yeah. and then there was – the, the Greeks actually brought syncretism as opposed to the exclusivism. Yeah. Now, I would say today or modern West, which America is like a, a good example of that, um, we're kind of Greek-ish. You know, we, we're cosmopolitan. What is America known as? A melting pot. Uh, we're not tribalistic very much at all, or we we say we're not. We're very individualistic. On the scale of individualism, we're way up there. We're John Wayneish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so modern times, the West, Western part of the world, took on a Greek sort of culture, where the East kind of still remained that ancient uh, tribal collective culture. Now, what's interesting is, Lately, there's a shift, and you've heard the term postmodern or postmodernism. What postmodernism really is is a shift of from west to east. Now, a lot of young people, millennials or whoever, are becoming a little bit more tribalistic, a little bit more collectivistic, less Greek, more Eastern in thought and in the way they approach life. Now, what do you think? How does that affect how we do missions here or other places? It's going to affect it greatly. I mean, uh, they're going to question anything that has to do. Aren't, aren't they going to say it's, uh, you know, good for you, not for yeah. me? Um, that's part of it, isn't it? It is. That, that's kind of a tribal kind of thing. Yeah. Of, you know, my group believes this or thinks this is important. And that's, and that's right for us. Yeah, and your group thinks this, and your group can't tell my group what to do or what to think. And mm-hmm. so you see— you see this happening even in America today. In the judicial system even, yeah. even in, in the government. Yeah, it does. It's affecting everything. And it, and we f- I feel like it's going to affect missions in some way. So we have to kind of – the main thing of this is when, you, when you're working with people in missions, you need to know their culture. Their, their worldview is what we're really referring to. Their thought processes, what they value, what they believe in. And so when the Greeks came in to Israel – uh, we see there's a, a change and a shift in this. Now, what really we need to point out is Hellenization struck at the heart of Jewish identity. Everything contrary to it. It is. And yeah. so imagine what what the typical Jewish person would feel at that time, kind of this, this new culture, this new philosophy, this new worldview forced on them, and they have to operate in this new way of, of living. And it really goes against a lot of what they've been taught and, and believe in. And so when Jesus would come, he was coming on the tails of all this. Now, 
There was also Greek oppression. We won't get into the details of that. You can look it up. In fact, some of you may or may not have read any of the uh, apocryphal writings. The in in different versions of 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 the Bible, you have these inserted in between the Old and New Testament. These are books that were written during that four hundred years, right? And if you want to, you can find a Catholic friend and ask them to read this. It would be it's good. It's interesting to read, like. Maccabees, the book right. of Maccabees, Daughter, just to get the history the of The history in the Maccabees is worth reading. That's right. Um, and so you can see what's going on. And what happened was this oppression, this Greek oppression, led to Jewish revolt. Okay. And there was this guy named Judas Maccabeus. Uh, his nickname was the Hammer. Right. Because he, he put the hammer down pretty hard. <laughs> and for a period of time, um, in 166 BC, I believe, uh, there was Jewish independence for a short period of time. Uh, revolting against the uh, the Greeks. Now, at the end of that Jewish independence, the Jewish leaders were no different than the Greeks. They just kind of, uh, I don't know, developed into just the same uh, against, you know, what they were trying to revolt against. They became the same thing. And then that's when the Romans came in with Pompey. Okay. okay. So Pompey would come in with the Romans, and he would took he took Jerusalem after about a three month siege of the temple, where priests were massacred and even committed suicide. Pompey would come into the Holy of Holies, and just take a look around. Of course, he didn't see anything, and he would just leave because he, you know, he was looking for God or something. Right. And you know, not there. Right. So whatever he was he, looking he for was he not doesn't there. comprehend spirit. <laughs> That's right. Kind of reminds me of what was the. the um, the Soviet astronauts, the cosmonauts, would I go up into space looking for God, and they didn't see him. But the uh, American astronauts would go into space, and they would see God everywhere, right? And read from Genesis chapter right. 1. Yes. So it kind of – your starting point kind of tells you. And so I think missions, that's what we need to keep in mind when we're dealing with people that are lost. Um, many people that we encounter in missions may not have had a – any sort of biblical background, and their their uh, ideas, their conceptions of God are just totally off. But they're looking for something, um, but they might not see, you know, what they're looking for. And that's part of what missions is: is to help people to see what's really there, to see God as He truly is. Amen. You know. Um, <clears throat> so the Romans not only brought more oppression. In a heavy-handed rule, um, they, you know, they kind of just picked up where the Greeks left off with that. But they also brought I, some good things. Let me yeah. bring it up. It's similar to when I visited Poland about three years ago. Uh, the, the Nazis were in control from 1939 to 1945, but they're replaced by the communist Russians. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. No, they weren't any better off right. with the replacement and and a lot of that's in the Middle East now. Okay, these people are in control. This this one ruler's in control, but the people who are rebelling against him, yeah. worse or better, who knows? Right. It's, that's what was taking place then. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now, the Romans brought a few good things with them. Um, they brought, again, a universal culture and language, Greek language. Actually, Latin would come later uh you know what was it about three four hundred A.D. is yes. when yeah. Latin became spoken more widely. So it was still Greek language, um, but then you also have what's called the Roman road system. 
uh, Roman roads. We've heard that. All roads lead to Rome. Rome. Um, And then the Roman peace, Pax Romana. Pax Romana. Now, what do you think? How did this – we know this affected people right then in the moment, but even a few decades later with the the missionary expansion of the the church, um, how did that affect – how did the Roman roads, Roman peace – play into the gospel expanding? I, I, Paul is the best example, especially him being a Roman citizen, and he claimed that citizenship when it was necessary in order for the gospel to, to continue on. But he had access, he had uh, the roads left, and he would make his way to Rome. That's, yep. that's what's neat. But I was thinking about Jesus during that period of time. Since Rome controlled everything, all the roads that would come through uh, Jerusalem and through Nazareth, where Jesus was born. Nazareth was uh, more Gentilish than than the, than the southern part of Jerusalem, and so even in Jesus' day, the Roman road and the Roman peace even affected the missional thought of Jesus of, right. of who he would come in contact with. That's right. I, I think the movie Ben Hur may even show that a yeah, little bit. It does. You know? Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, basically this common culture language along with a relatively safe and easy highway system. Now, compared to what we have today, no, but uh, in that day. In that it was, day, it was an yeah. interstate system in right, that day. Right, exactly. So that made it especially helpful when trying to share an important message with people spread across the world. And um, another important thing to kind of keep in mind, this is just in the back of our minds, the Romans began seeing their rulers as God as the son of God, um, there's a story about Halley's Comet actually passed by um, Rome, over the city of Rome, uh, at the same time right after Julius Caesar had died. And Augustus, Caesar Augustus, which before was Octavius, right? He changed his name, um, became the, the Caesar, the ruler. And a lot of superstition in those days and so what became the story was that Halley's Comet, they didn't know it as Halley's Comet. They, they thought, they believed that was Julius Caesar going to heaven, ascending into heaven. He was which, a god, right? As god, which would make Octavius or uh, Caesar Augustus, who was the adopted son of Julius, it would make him the son of yeah. God. Now, that's interesting to keep that in mind when we think about pronouncements of Jesus being God's son and Jesus being God. Very uh, important kind of background to kind of think about. But the main point when Jesus would come, he came in what's called the fullness of time is what scripture says. Into a Galatians world. 4. Uh, Galatians 4, yeah. Jesus came in the fullness of time into a world ripe with tension and ready for good news. <laughs> you know, whatever the fullness of time you means. You mean God knew what he was doing? Absolutely. Okay, I just got to bring in a little application. He knows what he's doing today too, doesn't he? He does. Amen. He does. Now, the fullness of time, what that kind of, even for our lives today, I just want to read this out of Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Imagine what the Jewish people at this time under the Babylonians, the Persians, the Gentiles, even under their own rulers who became corrupt, uh, and then the Romans, the Greeks and Romans, they felt like slaves, not like children of God, not like his chosen people. And here's Paul saying, it's not the law that makes that available. It's Jesus who, who gives you the adoption no wonder. as sons Paul, and good daughters. News. Good That's news. Right. Good news. It is good news. Now, here's what we want to do now. That's kind of the historical look at this time, uh, up to when Jesus would come, and we read about it in, in the Gospels. Uh, the last few minutes, let's look at some social developments uh, that would take place. So what you had in this time is you had diaspora or a Jewish dispersion. Right, so the Jews at this point could be. It was written, maybe it was. Uh, what's the the Jewish historical writer at this time? I can't remember his name now. I should have uh, written it down. It'll come to me after the. That's program. right. Um, <laughs> he would write that you could find Jews in every land. Now, whatever that meant, but yeah. Jews were dispersed throughout the world at this time. Um, that would play into things, and then because of that. That meant that the Jews were no longer centered around Jerusalem and the temple. So what became important at this time? What developed at this time? Well, synagogues were developed. They needed a place. The Jewish um, history has always been in the home, okay? Right. Even after uh, they leave Jerusalem and go worldwide, even then the synagogue was developed. And so it was a place of teaching, training. And that synagogue, the synagogues would play a very important part in the life of Jesus and the life of the Apostle Paul. Mm. Now, the synagogue, um, what was done mostly in the synagogue, it was a center of cultural and religious life for, for Jewish people wherever they were found. And they had to have 10 males in order to was have Was it 10 one. or 100, something like that? 10 males. It was just 10. That's okay. the reason when Paul went to Philippi, they didn't have enough Jewish males, but they still met. Down by with, the river. By the river in Lydia. Who was a female right. was the leader. Yeah, uh, I she love was the person of influence. I there. love how God, He's yeah. not bound by some of our restraints. That's Nathan. right. So, what was going on ma- mainly in the synagogue was the keeping and the reading of the Torah of the law. Yes, and so the the group that controlled the the keeping of the law, the reading of the law, the teaching of it, uh, and and the and the use of the synagogue to keep them separate. That's right. Was the Pharisees, and that which, which is separate, me, That's right. the meaning. So the Pharisees says. rose up as a as a religious political party during this time, uh, and so law keeping became primary. So we did not see synagogues or Pharisees in the Old Testament. That's right. But when we come to the New Testament, I mean, you read the Gospels, you say, "What is this? Where did they come from?" And it developed during this four hundred. Right. Years. As the Jewish people were dispersed all over the world, okay. uh, that's, that's where that developed from. That means these Jews were not surrounded by other Jews. They were surrounded by Gentiles, yeah, didn't they? That's right. Wow. On every side. On every side. Now, they probably had their own enclaves and some larger, some smaller. Uh, but the synagogue became vastly important and the keeping of the law became super important for them. Now, uh, kind of a playoff of that was... Um, because more and more Jewish people began began speaking Greek, um, and they were dispersed, uh, 
the Septuagint was written during this time, okay. which was the Greek version of the Old Testament. Okay, here to bring this about Jesus and the redemption and missions, that was already reached using the Word of God. Yeah. To reach the people that needed to be reached, That's right. regardless in their in the language they in could their understand. language that they could understand. That's right. We call it heart language, right? That's right. And then the, another development that we want to look at: what was going on in Israel at this time? If all these Jewish people were dispersed everywhere, well, you still had Jewish people living in Israel, but there's a particular part of Israel, the northern part around the Sea of Galilee, well, called Galilee. Um, and in some places, it's referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. What was happening is you had people moving in, Gentile people moving into Israel, particularly Galilee, and you had a good mixture of Gentiles and Jewish people living in Galilee at the time when Jesus was born there. So that's where the you know Jesus, most of his ministry would take place, and it was the home of most of the 12 disciples was Galilee, right there in the mix of all these Gentiles. So you had a lot of social developments happening. These developments basically show how God was working to make straight paths for his global redemptive mission through the Messiah. Amen. God takes all things and works them for good, even in the interbiblical period. That's right. Now, they had, the Jewish people had Messiah expectations at this time. We won't get into that much. Here's what the main thing I want to bring out. They saw their coming Messiah as a deliverer from all these oppressors, these Gentile overlords. They saw him, well, they didn't see him as much, we saw Jesus actually had the expectation that he would be the suffering servant version of a Messiah. They missed that when they read the Old Testament, didn't they? But it's interesting, in Isaiah's four servant songs, where we get the concept of the Messiah being a suffering servant, three of those four servant songs contain direct references to all the nations. All the, the servant nations. would come not just to redeem Israel, but to redeem all of mankind. Okay, we're really zooming in to all the nations. So Jesus comes in. He didn't come. He came unto his own. Yes, his own received him not. That's right. But he came for all, all the nations. How important that is. That's right. And then the last concept of messianic expectations that we see is the idea of the son of man. Okay. And son of man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. And it comes mainly from this passage. And I want to read this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And we'll close with. With, with this, um, Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I continued watching in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Amen. So we have the promise of the Messiah in Daniel. Daniel was in exile when that would be written. That's right. And the promise. Thank you, Nathan, for carrying us through that. Uh, for those of you that are not history buffs, we hope that didn't bother you a lot, but it sets up what we're going to talk about next week and how Jesus came, and he came in the fullness of time, just at the right time to fulfill all righteousness and all expectation of salvation. Thank you again for listening to Exploring Missions here on the American Family Radio. We pray that God would use you to take his good news across the street and around the world.